Hi friends, Nathan from Dumbo Feather here, introducing this week's Zoom conversation series. We had a few hiccups with the recording at the start, so I'm just going to tell you what to expect. It's Barry and I, as has been our regular fun format for the Monday Lunchtime series. We're chatting before a group of nearly 200 this week with the magnificent Catherine Ingram. If you don't know Catherine, she's a world-renowned Dharma teacher who in the 1970s co-founded the most prestigious Buddhist center in the West, the Insight Meditation Society in Bar, Massachusetts. We spoke with Catherine for issue 61 of Dumbo Feather, and she's a voice that I'm finding particularly valuable at this time. Catherine has a podcast called Coronavirus, Courage and Calm with regular episodes that are, that are both pertinent as she shares information on health and safety relating to the virus and full of solace, inviting spaciousness and kindness with self as she does so exquisitely. So enjoy this week's chat. It begins with Catherine leading the group in meditation. Let's have a little contemplation. We'll begin with just a few breaths, noticing your breathing. And you don't have to manipulate it. It doesn't have to be slowed down or deeper, just however it's coming. Noticing your breath for a few breaths. You're breathing unaided, which we now know is such a privilege. And let's just be grateful that we have our breath. And now let's feel into the experience of being in our body. And this is our true home. This is your most familiar home. Being at ease in your own home, in your senses. Experiencing your own creatureness. where you always live in your own senses, effortlessly, effortlessly knowing when you're tired, when you're hungry, too hot, too cold, when a beautiful smell comes or a wonderful taste, All very, very much a privilege to experience, yes. Feeling into the gratitude of that, being at home in yourself. Now let's give a moment to feeling into our tenderness. Maybe you've been noticing that in these last weeks, 
how the emotions are close to the surface. Maybe that's how it should be. Maybe that's what's natural when we're not busy running around and chasing things. Maybe tears do come easily when we're at home and we're in our tenderness. And when we feel empathy, Tenderness for all that you love. You've been noticing that, all that you love. So many thoughts and feelings and memories and dreams in these last many weeks as we share this moment unique in our history with the whole world. Let yourself encompass this experience we're having with people around the world, silently witnessing together. Let's be grateful that we're able to do this. Grateful to our team who's put this together and freely offered it. Grateful to see the heroism and the human spirit rising in the world. And grateful for the gifts in this, even though there's a lot of pain and there's fear running through the world, there are also unforeseen gifts And you know this, you're experiencing some of those. Our priorities are coming into focus. And we can be grateful for this. Okay, my dears. So my friends Barry and Nathan are going to be in conversation with me for this session. I'm so uh, delighted.
And um, I'm, I'm, speaking of receptivity, I got to plug my phone in. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to say thank you, Catherine, for that patient. I feel like you carved out all of this space <laughs> in my body. I'm so grateful for that. Thank you. <clears throat> and um, as you always do, Catherine, you you always provide a container of kindness and allowance and generosity and tenderness and it is such a privilege to learn from you how you do that um, by just being in the field with you. Um, I want to uh, just point everyone to the chat because you can see that there's links to all the work that we're doing to Catherine's wonderful podcast in the deep, which we all love so much. And um, that's just, there's just, the, we will be posting some useful resources on the side there and um, book recommendations, music, you're welcome to do that too. Thank you all. Um, I also want to honour that um, Catherine always teaches this state of observation and presence and receptivity and allowance and part of that is people being unmuted and children screaming and like negotiations and the ins and the outs and it's highly likely my children will come screaming through this room at some point and they probably would have preferred to do it during the meditation. Um, so I just want to say to all of us, that's okay. Yes. Absolutely. All are welcome. <laughs> All are welcome. Nike, do you want so, to? Yeah. There was so much in that meditation that I want to kind of grab onto. And we did talk about framing this conversation around some of the gifts um, that this moment is presenting to us while also holding the enormous suffering and the recognition of the loss that's also taking place at this time. But there is something about orienting towards towards the gifts and the opportunity of this moment that I think can really enliven and nourish us, uh, especially when there's so much heaviness around. So I feel like that would be a good place to start. And, you know, just, I mean, I'm thinking of my own experience just yesterday. I was out a lot this weekend. It was a lot of beautiful kind of sunny, sparkling day in Melbourne. And on our kind of ride home, we noticed this beautiful community box full of preserves and goods and vegetables. And it just had the message, take what you take what you need, give if you can. And I don't think I would have noticed. I don't know how long it's been there. It could look like it had been there forever. But there's something about my blinkers in this time because we're forced to go in and to, to move slowly and smallly um, that some of these beautiful things are opening up. So that was something that came to mind when, we were talking, when you mentioned the gifts. But Barry also, and Barry will ask you to share that list that you had before as well. Um, yeah. Um, Catherine, we, Catherine and I um, were having a chat this morning. We were talking about the things that we're noticing. And Catherine, I'd love if you, after me, would just talk about the dreams and all the things that that you've been noticing. And um, I just wanted to share with everyone that friends and mentors and people have sent me this list. Like I've been gathering this list um, in the last few weeks of what people are observing, and. The Attorney General of the UN, in the last two weeks, this is what has been happening. And many of you may know all these facts, but I'm just going to put them all together in one yeah, little yeah. group. The Attorney General of the UN called for a global ceasefire of all conflict on earth. And then Saudi Arabia declared a ceasefire in Yemen 
which has had unrelenting war for the last five years. And actually today we sit here together, all eight pages on Zoom of you glorious humans, and there is peace on earth. There has been no conflict on the planet, at least for the last 10 days. That is remarkable. And in keeping with that resonant field, seismologists around the world have been recording a 30 and in some places 40 to 45% reduction in noise pollution and vibration from the Earth's core. So much so that the whales around the planet are able to hear each other in migration for the first time in our lifetimes. And the ecosystems are restoring at such a cracking pace that it's this enormous inhalation, exhalation planetarily. And we get to be alive in this moment. That feels incredibly important and epoch-defining. And that all of us <coughs> around the world are exploring the same emotional palette at the same time feels important too. So those are the few of the things that I've been noticing. That's so beautiful. Yeah. Um, perhaps many of us know that <clears throat> this week is the 50th anniversary of Earth Day, founded in 1970 on April 22nd. So in just a few days, it's, it's Earth Day. And the organizers had been planning for two years this massive celebration with 180 countries around the world and very much feeling it was kind of a do or die moment. So very important kinds of um, world leaders coming together. But that's all pretty much canceled except for some online events. But I've been saying the earth is having an earth day. <laughs> the earth itself is breathing and healing and you know people are seeing the stars for the first time in some places people who've gone through a whole lifetime thus far who were 30 in their 30s have never seen stars in the places they're living people in northern india in patankot india are seeing the himalayas which are 200 kilometers away for the first time in 30 years so, like, imagine one morning you wake up in your town in Patonkot and you're 30 some years old and you look out your, you know, you look out your window and there's the Himalayas. <laughs> it's like, did they just get there? <laughs> um, so, to really feel into part of the feeling into for us. And I know there's plenty of stress and I know some of you on this call are probably financially worried and who are also perhaps worried about your health or you know someone who's ill because I know a lot of you are actually in California right now I can see um, yes that is the case and we don't of course deny the sorrow of that but we also have to know that we're in a we're in a huge shift of awareness on this planet on so many levels and you no doubt know this from your own experience i know i do i am feeling incredible shifts in my being and i'm not 
a stranger to silent retreats. I spend a lot of time in silent retreats. But uh, this has a whole other flavor to it because it's um, it's a world event of a shared event with with all of us. So it's like a shift in world consciousness. I'm not naive enough to think that that's going to mean we're going to get our act together necessarily. But I think if there was anything that could give us a wake-up call, this could be it. And it certainly will show us a contrast between the way we've been living, the speed at which we've been living, the speed at which we've been gulping resources, the unhappiness and stress that that speed has entailed for us, for our, for our human creatureliness. And that contrast, sometimes you have to really experience something in contrast before you really understand the cost of whatever it was you were paying. Um, so let's see. I, I love it, Barry, that you said that the uh, about the um, the ceasefires. It's got the phrase came to me: no fighting in the war zones. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And also, I just want to share with all my lovely new friends in Los Angeles. If you're in LA today, it was in the news a couple of days ago that LA, one of the more polluted urban environments in the world, apparently has some of the cleanest air on earth. Wow. So I just would recommend friends in LA take a deep breath because <laughs> you're breathing the best air that there has been in our lifetime. Yeah, and another thing I know about what's going on in LA, and certainly the people there are hearing about it, but all these mountain lions and bobcats are wandering around places like Brentwood and Beverly Hills. I love that. On people's driveways, they're catching them on their video cams, on their security cams, and you're seeing these pretty big cats. I mean, they look like lions, actually, um, you know, jumping like 12-foot fences and, you know, just jumping up like it's nothing, like, uh, you know, uh, and jumping over into people's yards. And um, so it's, the animals are having a wild old time, and I just love it. I love, I talked on my last podcast about there are all these goats that have kind of taken over the streets of this town in Wales and they're eating the town trees. Oh my God. <laughs> you know, it all, um, it makes me laugh. It also breaks my heart a bit um, because I'm also aware that, you know, it's like they're getting to have a turn at living here and the earth being their home, you know. Remember, Catherine, when we had our encounter with the brown snake? How will I ever forget? (laughs) (laughs) So (coughs) I remember it (laughs) because you talked about it on the podcast. That shit was crazy. So I'm just going to share this thought around what Catherine just said, that her heart is broken, that the the wild is rewilding and, and, and they're having their turn to occupy. But, like, I'm ambivalent. I'm not ambivalent. I, I feel... I don't know. I feel confused about it. Catherine and I, I I did Catherine's Remarkable Silent Retreat here in Byron Bay. Life-changing, profound, important. If you ever get a chance to do one of Catherine's silent retreats, like rush to do it. It's uh, rush to to stop. (laughs) Uh, It's very important work. And I was leading a hike into the country on that day and we were in silence and All of a sudden, I saw something really massive and shiny 
moving in front of me and it was about a meter in front of me and I went to lift my foot up and this brown snake in Australia, brown snakes kill you in about seven minutes, maybe 15. I like to exaggerate. But it's about 15 minutes. You don't really have any chance and the toxins enter your blood. And there's horror stories that we hear about it in Australia. By the way, it's the it's the it's responsible for the most deaths of all the snakes. It's the brown snakes are are so ubiquitous and and aggressive. Anyway, so it raised its head. Catherine was right behind me and I kind of motioned with my arms. I stayed silent and I was motioning stop everyone the brown snake with my hands and we turned around and Catherine fell over and I picked her up and we got and we survived we survived the brown snake I don't know how we survived the brown snake because it looms large in my imagination and um it was a terrifying experience without 16 people behind us and had to rush them out of there and because it was coming towards us Anyway, and then we got back and we had our Dharma session with Catherine and I said, you know, I've, I've longed for the wild, the rewilding of the world, but that was just a little bit fucking close. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and we kept silent through the entire ordeal. Wow. No one said a word. We just, we just motioned for people to back up and everyone just, some of the people at the end of the line didn't know why we were turning around so soon. <laughs> It was amazing because it was, you know, one of the participants was saying, we rarely have encounters with wild things, untamed by us, uncontrolled by us. And it was so confronting because our nervous systems are not actually used to being in wildness. So that was quite a lesson. Yes. (laughs) That was quite a lesson. (laughs) Well, I was thinking, how can we tie this back? But I was thinking maybe there's a conversation of resilience here as well because, Catherine, I've been hearing a lot on the podcast you talking about this being a period of of crisis now that we're in and a lot of people kind of having this conversation about us not returning to normal. Um, If there ever was a normal, not returning to business as usual at least. And for many people I think that kind of fear-inducing, right, to think that. We might lose some of the assumptions we have created about how we live and the comforts that we created. And I, I really want to talk to the importance of, of building resilience um, at this time for ourselves as a species, but also as we start to probably come closer to our natural ecosystems in the way that you're describing, right? This, this requires a, a new mindset, a new, a new way of living, really. Yeah. Have you found this, Nathan? I've been noticing how um, how non-essential m- most of my needs are. I mean, you know, the, what am I saying? How I'm only actually operating on my essential needs at this point. Um, you know, that which really is mostly just food. Um, food, and I spend a little bit of uh, gasoline uh, getting to the food, which isn't very far. It's a few minutes drive, like three minutes. <laughs> Um, so I've, I've only used about a quarter of a tank of gas for about a month and I want for nothing. It's, it's, I don't have, like, I I don't care about all the stores that are closed. Most of that is non-essential stuff that we've extracted from the world, you know, from the earth rather. And, um, so I think in terms of resilience, one of the things I think is important to reflect on is how we can let go of a lot of things, how we're being forced to let go and we're seeing, okay, that's not that big a deal. How we can 
celebrate what we do have and what we do uh, get to enjoy still, how little small things become so much more important. Um, your description of your, your, your ride and uh, seeing the, the farm, the produce uh, for sale, not for sale, for, for donation, but really, um, all of those kinds of things are, you know, the, the, that information is, is sort of weaving into our awareness subliminally almost, you know, and we really might, it might shift for a lot of people. I mean, one thing that's going to happen is a lot of, I think there's going to be a, a downward pressure on people's um, wherewithal economically. And that will be an, kind of an enforced um, letting go of a lot of stuff down to essentials. But this is how people have lived through most of history, right? People have lived on much more basic levels. We've just been having a grand old party in our generations, you know, in our few generations, you know, since the time of the war, since World War II, we've just been rocking out, just gulping and having, you know, anything we wanted and as much as we wanted and flying all over the world. Barry was telling me this morning about, you know, being at the, in, in Rome in the middle of the night, you know, going to the Trevi Fountain and, and, uh, and there was a mob there. There's a whole huge crowd, you know, it's just like constant more, more, more. And now we're in a less, less, less phase and it's not that bad. There's a lot of more time. Has anyone else noticed? You have a lot more time. It reminds me because I'm pretty ancient now. <clears throat> Tomorrow I'll be 68 years old. Um, so um, it reminds me of growing up in the 50s. You know, like you were bored a lot. There wasn't that much to do in terms of home entertainment, <laughs> right? You had to figure things out. Yet you played outside a lot um, until it was dark. Um, it, it, it was just, I think for me, when I first came to Australia 17 years ago, what spoke to me so deeply was I felt like I was stepping back in time. And for myself, Whenever I yearn to be somewhere else, it's actually not a where, it's a when. I, I, I sometimes yearn to be living in a slower time. And I search for that. And so those are the kinds of places on earth that I feel very, very comfortable. And sometimes I find them in villages in Europe and different places. And I, like I said, New, Ze New Zealand, I felt it in Tasmania. I, feel, I felt it here a lot. Um, but I'm feeling it now in this phase, and I think a lot of us are feeling it, that, that it's a return to a more human pace of life. And It's reminding me of the, the New Yorker article you, you yeah. sent through to me. I wonder if you have it, have it I do. to I do. share some parts of it. And, to and Janine might be on the, the call with us, and, um, uh, and I want to thank her because um, she's the one who sent it to me. This is just an excerpt. Should I read this whole thing? Or just parts of it, yeah, parts of it that resonate particularly. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have the link to it so we can share that with I don't have it handy, um, but um, we'll I find it and send it to you. It's, it's in the New Yorker, and um, I don't even have the name of the person. But anyway, I'll just read some of it. For the longest time, I have felt that there's been too much world. Too much, 
too fast, too loud. So I'm not experiencing any isolation trauma, and it isn't hard on me at all to not see. I'm not sorry that the cinemas have closed. I'm completely indifferent to the fact that shopping centers have shuttered. I do worry, of course, when I think of all the people who've lost their jobs. But when I learned of the impending quarantine, I felt something like relief. I know many people felt similarly, even if they also felt ashamed of it. And then she goes on, might it not be the case that we have returned to a normal rhythm of life, that it isn't that the virus is a disruption of the norm, but rather exactly the reverse, that the hectic world before the virus arrived was abnormal. Virus has reminded us, after all, of the thing we've been denying so passionately, that we are delicate creatures composed of the most fragile material, that we die, that we are mortal, that we are not separated from the rest of the world by our humanity, by any exceptionality, but that the world is instead a kind of giant network in which we are met, connected with other beings by invisible threads of dependence and influence. That with any, without any regard to how far apart the countries we come from are, or what languages we speak, or what color our skin is, we come down with the same illness, we share the same fears, we die the same death. And it has raised a question we've rarely had the courage to ask ourselves. What is it exactly that we keep going off in search of? Amen. So, yeah, when we feel this kind of revving of the engine of us saying, something's missing, I need to get it, I need to figure out, we got to get out of this. So many people are just chomping at the bit for the, what I call the death machine to crank up again. Let's really re-examine that. Yeah. I was thinking a lot about these words that you use a lot, calm and, and contentment. A lot of your work is inviting us to places of calmness and contentment. And I remember you saying once, actually, that to be content is the most radical act um, that we could be doing right now, and I found that really powerful. And I was wondering why, you know, I think in our culture we've really devalued those those words. They've kind of felt like cop-outs that, you know, the work is being on the edge, it's kind of exhausting ourselves, working hard, being part of the death machine, as you said, and that, you know, those words lost a lot of their, their value. And, and this invitation that you're giving us to, to lean into those words. I've often said that, the, that contentedness is almost like an old-fashioned um, idea. You almost never hear it mentioned much because it – it doesn't make you want to buy things. <laughs> you know, it's not something you hear in mainstream media a lot, although I suspect it's going to be more, um, you know, that, that people are going to have to realize to be content, to go downstream, be content with less, and be content with the, the love and the beauty and the simple joys that are just laying all about us, you know. And so, yes, you're absolutely right. It's it's almost like an old-timey old concept, um, but one that I practice a lot. I, I, sometimes when I can feel my own greed or, you know, agitation or, or whatever arising, I'll, say, I'll take myself in hand and say, no, wait a minute, <laughs> you know. <laughs> um, yeah, we, we've been made to feel guilty if we feel content. Yeah. Mm that we're somehow failing everyone else by 
embodying and fully experiencing wholeness. And I, I love when you talk about contentedness and silence as a space of nourishment. And I mean, silence, the silent retreat with you definitely alerted me to the unbelievable bounty of the life around us, the world around us. It's all there. And I think the systems design is there as well. And I'm always thinking about how can we design an economic system, ask ourselves the essential questions and work our way up from there or out from there? Like what would an economy look like if it was designed around the question, what do we love? Yes. Yes. Right. What, what do we value? What makes life worth living? What brings meaning into our lives? Let's design the system from core questions that take us where we really want to go. Yes, right. That feels like there's a crack in the universe right now where we could really sit in that. Yes, that's what it feels to me too. And um, it's going to be interesting to see it all, you know, roll out. Um, I'll be, I'll be very, it'll be very fun for me to read all your comments that are coming through, which I'll have to do after, um, after we end the session, because I can't concentrate on both. But um, yeah, I'm very much looking forward to hearing what you guys are saying about this as well. I'm actually noticing a few of the suggestions. There's a kind of attack of the self uh, that also happens where if you're feeling contentment or the, the joy of of silence and calm that you need to attack it instantly with, yeah, but there's suffering. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How do you, how do you like think about that, Catherine? Well, of course, one shouldn't uh, deny the suffering. It, 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 you'd be having to be living in a shoebox somewhere. <laughs> um, it is part of this, this world, but as many of my teachers over the years have pointed out, you have to keep things in balance. So if you're falling off into depression and just pure misery and all you see is gloom and awful things and people are bad and, um, you know, all of that, um, you're out of balance. So there's plenty of beauty and joy and mercy. I mean, as we're seeing it here now in this time, I've been... I, I just cry every time I see the, the people singing on the balconies and the people banging, to, you know, their pots and pans in the UK, you know, once a week celebrating their NHS and, and, um, and all the doctors and nurses on these front lines making, you know, um, personal protection, um, um, what are they called? Personal protection equipment um, out of garbage bags, you know, like, I mean, it's horrible that they're having to do that, but that they will still go into work wearing garbage bags as their protection. Mm -hmm. um, you know, just the rising of the human spirit, it just blows me away because I do sometimes get a little m mad at our species. <laughs> but um, but it, it's just when I'm out of balance, when I'm, when I'm not seeing the full picture. And, and um, so the same with joy and misery. Um, both are allowed. I like to err on the side of, if not making myself feel blissfully happy, I don't really demand that, but just a general well-being because I do it for me and I do it for everyone else. 
And I know you as a mother of three children, Barry, you know this very well. All the mothers know this, that, you know, um, your job in life is to, no matter how you're feeling, you got to keep it together. And I think it's one of the joys of being a parent is it sort of forces you into your higher ground. But I think for all of us, and especially those of us who have the privilege of the kinds of lives we've led and, and um, the Dharma in our lives, it's incumbent upon us to, to live in our, in our highest places, which of course sees the suffering, but also doesn't collapse in it, at least not entirely. Sometimes one does, but, but to really to really, as best you can, keep your own screen clear inside. And I practice gratitude a lot. Um, I've really focused on that in our guided meditation because it's really just, you were just eavesdropping on my own talk to myself. Um, That it's the instant open secret to hopping out of some sort of for me and isn't everything awful. Um, I have a friend right now. I've been very much keeping track of what's going on for him. He's near death in a hospital in Denver. He doesn't have COVID. He has sepsis and some other terrible concomitant things with it. And each day the news is more grim and his dear girlfriend, who I'm quite in touch with, um, is having to make some very big decisions and soon um, as to whether they should keep him, they should keep having operations and doing more things to his body because it's looking quite, quite bad. And I'm so aware as we sit here and we have these kinds of conversations I'm so aware of my dear friend, and some of you will know him from retreats long ago. He, he was coming, he's been coming to my retreats for 25 years, Steve Ramsey from LA. He used to be a cine- cinematographer there. Um, anyway, beautiful, beautiful guy and um, lovely and possibly dying in the next short while. I guess it's always this way, isn't it? That you know this this world is not you know it's not that we just get to roll along in some sort of groove and we're we're protected from loss it just doesn't work that way here and maybe that's part of its poignant beauty is everything is really impermanent and i think that in this time can't you feel how impermanent it is. I mean, it always was, but doesn't it seem ever more so right now? Like the lesson, you know, is being delivered really strongly at this point. I, I feel it very strongly. Where your your every you know trip to the grocery store is a bit of a risk, right? It's funny. I um one of the things I've been working on the last couple of weeks was just the notion that all the resistance that we feel inside of ourselves and in the world around us, all the things that are pressuring us are actually, if we 
if we can get our heads above water and view it as information, that the resistance creates the new form that will emerge. That's beautiful. Yes. Like in many things in nature where it takes pressure, like making a pearl. Yeah. It takes pressure to to have the, the, the jewel. Yeah. I'm feeling like I want to share a piece with you. Sure. Indulge me. It's a, it's a piece by, um, you, might, you might know Martin Shaw, the mythologist, Martin Shaw. And he wrote this piece in mid-March and before things got really uh, intense. And it's called Keeping the Smoke Hole Open. And I'm thinking a lot about um, exactly what he's speaking to, connection to gratitude, connection to the divine in this moment. And so I'm going to read it out to you. In Siberian myth, when you want to hurt someone, you crawl into their tent and close the smoke hole. That way, God can't see them. Close the smoke hole and you break connection to the divine world. Mountains, rivers, trees. Close the smoke hole and we become mad. Close the smoke hole and we are possessed by ourselves and only ourselves. Close the smoke hole and you have only your neurosis for company. Well, enough of that. Really, come on. We're grown-ups. Let's take a breath. We may have... We may have to seek some solitude, but let's not isolate from the marvellous. High alert is the nature of the moment, and rightly so. But I do not intend to lose the reality that as a culture, we are entering deeply mythic ground. I am forgetting business as usual. No great stories begin like that. What needs to change? Deepen. What kindness in me have I so abandoned that I could seek relationship with again? It is useful to inspect my ruin. Could I strike up an old relationship with my soul again? You don't need me to tell you how to keep the smoke hole open. You have a myriad of ways. We are awash with the power of words. Virus, isolate, isolate, pandemic, and they are pointing towards very real things. To some degree, we need the organisational harassment of them. But do they grow corn on your tongue when you speak them? Where is the beauty making in all this? That is part part of the correct response. The absolute heft of grief may well be the weave to such a prayer mat. Before we burn the whole world down in the wider range of wider range of climate emergency, of which this current motion moment is just a hint, could we collectively seek vigil in this moment? Cry for a vision. It's what we've always done. We need to do it now. Mm. Isn't that magnificent? Mm-hmm. I love that phrase. And I hope I remember it correctly, not to isolate from the marvelous. Yeah. 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 And this, I'm thinking a lot about what the place of spirituality is and the Dharma is and the work um, for us at this moment. I wonder if you have any thoughts on that, Catherine. I mean, of course it's the... The deep surrender, not in resignation, but in in clear seeing, the surrender to what is, right? That's part of it, is the is the saying yes to things that are unfolding, if they're already unfolding. Anything we can do to change and make things easier and less suffering, of course, that's what we'll do, and that'll be an easy surrender for us. But one of the things I've noticed... Um, like I've watched, I've watched a lot of the um, news out of the U.S. And there's kind of a, like there's this hysteria running through um, 
a lot of the commentary, like the thing that everyone seems to be focused on is getting this over with as fast as they can. And it may not work out like that, you know, obviously. We're seeing it in other places where they're opening up too soon and then there's outbreaks and then you have to close down again. And so what I see is this constant thrust in the wrong direction, right? Like I said before, the, the... the piece is downstream. Let it be. Let's take things slowly. Let's be careful with each step. A dharmic position is just simply clear seeing, right? Clear seeing. Clear seeing uh, that it's wiser to be empathic than to be non-empathic, right? Even for yourself, it's just wiser for you internally. It's wiser for you to surrender to what is. It's wiser for you to love reality than to constantly fight with it. Um, These are just, you know, traditional Dharma perspectives. Gratitude feels good. Um, You know, seeing, seeing the laws of impermanence everywhere you look. Um, This is just all, you know, standard issue. Um, in a time like this, though, they, these kinds of understandings really pop, you know? We sort of think when we're going along, yeah, 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 we all know that. But in this, in this phase, I feel, like Barry mentioned before, just the, the question about dreams. There's a phenomenon going on right now. People are having really strange dreams And in the first week or so of this, I was waking up in the night and I really felt like I was living on another planet. I just internally felt like I was in the weirdest mood, not really like nightmare, but just unfamiliar. But my system did adapt to it very, very quickly. And now I'm sleeping fine and I I feel quite normal. Um, But I'm, I'm reading. There's a lot of people worldwide who are in these terribly strange, strange dreams and talking about it and psychologists are analyzing it and so forth. Um, I think that part of what's happening there is, you know, just the stopping and the amount of quiet and the whole world is quiet. People we, were, we were actually saying, Catherine, that, that was your point, Barry. Yeah, that maybe we're all having these wild dreams because we're all so sensitized and maybe like the whales, we're kind of all gifting up into the collective consciousness things. We, we haven't had the time or spaciousness to even feel while we're asleep. Yes. Um, because we're processing such manic day life. Yes that um, our subconscious, our collective subconscious and our individual subconscious just didn't get a break. And now this this happening around the world, this spacious happening, this 40% reduction in noise and, and vibration of the earth, it must affect us. We're sensitive and we're tender. I'm actually wondering, Catherine, I'm the same. I woke up this morning at 4.30. Like, that's just not okay. I woke up at 4.30 and stayed awake. Um, I was just so sensitive and tender. What, what, do, you, what do you do with that tenderness? That, that's why I'm feeling tender today. You mentioned in your meditation being on the edge of emotions as well, Catherine, which really resonated. 
Yeah, yeah, both of you. I I feel very, very tender. I'm I'm noticing I am crying so easily, not boohooing and bawling or anything, but just tears spring to my eyes so easily in little tiny moments. There's this this little wa- baby water dragon that's moved onto my my porch, which I'm calling Squatter, and um and and it was clinging onto my screen door the other day, and I was looking at it. You know, I actually have time to stop and look. You know, at a at a baby water dragon and examine it. And the whole thing was so, it has these beautiful long fingers and it, it was so tender that, that tears came to my eyes, right? Just standing there having this experience. Um, I mean, I do sometimes have moments of thinking, am I losing it? <laughs> but not really. I feel that, like I said, during the, the, the guided meditation, what if it's normal for us to be feeling this tender? What if that's what, like you said, Barry, how, how sensitive we are as creatures, how we're incredible barometers, you know, such that when the earth is no more rumbling down in its depths, it probably is affecting us. It's affecting all of wildlife as we can see. And, you know, maybe that's the norm. That's what's normal. And we have to be, be armored when we go back into the rush of so-called civilization and we are being bombarded on our sense doors all through the day and part of the evenings and we're not off our screens. And um, that is what we have to question, you know. I think tender tears, that we really we could learn to live with and it would probably be a good thing to do. Mm-hmm. So we've got five minutes left. I wonder, Catherine, if you just wanted to, if people want to continue in these conversations, your podcast I think is exceptional, Coronavirus, Courage and Calm. Um, maybe just let us know a bit about that. And Yeah, it. as this crisis started developing, as many of you know, I have a channel called In the Deep with Catherine Ingram. I've had it for five years. And, but as this crisis started to develop, I realized I wanted to actually address it head on. And because I tend to keep up with news and information just as a long time habit, I thought, okay, I'll, I'll assess a bunch of different news sources about what's, you know, things about safety and what are the new therapies and all of that. Um, Having been a journalist long ago, I kind of, um, I can kind of parse out. Uh, information quickly. So I've been doing that. And as you said, Nathan, I, I do the first part of the podcast is a news um, offering and then a kind of Dharma perspective or just something I've been thinking about. So we've done, I think, six so far. And I've covered things like pent-up emotions. And the most recent one is the earth size, meaning size and relief. Um, <laughs> And um, strange dreams and living in lockdown and some things like that. Those are some of the themes. But um, yeah, um, and I'm seeing so many comments, and there could have been questions in here that we haven't got to. But maybe we can sit down and, and um, I don't know how we can respond to. Maybe we can respond to them through an article on the Dumbo Feather website. If there's stuff in here that we can um, speak to. Thank you, everyone. For I've been and um, I've 
I've been asked for a couple of the resources about the whales and Javier, okay. um, I got your message. Thank you. And uh, um, we will share the resources from this conversation, I think, on our website, Nath. Yeah, yeah. we are doing that. And yeah, package. Yeah. yeah. And if you, um, Nath, what's the web, the email address if people want to be on our mailing list? Digital at dumbofeather.com. Digital at dumbofeather.com. Um, <clears throat> I think and Miranda saying here we'll send an email after this with resources. That's great. Or just head to the website. Um, Dumbo Feather online. Like, do can you just subscribe online for people? Yeah, of course, of course. We do digital um, issues of the magazine at dumbofeather.com. And I just want to give permission to everyone. I think what I've been trying to say and what I've been trying to do um, in conversation now with these beautiful human beings is reaching out to everyone you know who has wisdom to offer and activating your local communities now to live into and practice the new ways of being. I think that's how we create the bridge from where we are and what we're feeling is true right now to where we're going so that there's not a COVID time and then after COVID business as usual. I just don't think, I think we're being asked to bridge that. I think we're being asked to hospice the old system quite literally and midwife the new. And that is a, that is a piece of work in the bridge building between and that you have to bring with you all the things you think are valuable into the new world and make it happen in your neighbourhood. A girlfriend was asking me, but what can I do? And I said, you literally live at the foot of the steps of the town hall in your municipality. So ask yourself, what do I love? And then bring that into reality in your community. And, um, and that's what I wanted to sort of offer at the end of this conversation. And thanks. Thank you, Catherine. Thank you, Catherine. You're this will be turned into a podcast um, on the Dumbo Feather podcast channel. Let's check that out. And thank you to all of my old friends and new thank you, Catherine. It's so amazing to see your faces. It's fantastic. Can't wait to tango again. Yes. Catherine, happy birthday tomorrow, Catherine. Are you going to do this again, Catherine? Or? Um, I might be, yeah. I haven't decided. I'm, I'm kind of a – I just put up a – an away message for the first time in many years on my email, and it's and it says I've got a daily date with my boogie board. <laughs> so, ah. <laughs> hey, why don't we Why don't we finish by everyone turns on their microphones and we all sing Happy Birthday? I love it. Who's birthday is it? Catherine. Friends tomorrow. <laughs> Everybody ready? Oh, she's Happy birthday to you.